6, as we continue our study through the book of Ephesians, and we've slowed down a bit here in the sixth chapter because of the importance of the information that Paul's giving us here is he kind of winds up this letter to the Ephesians. He winds it up with some of the most important things that he has to say. He's laid a great foundation of the gospel and what that means and, and boy, all the ramifications of it and how our lives, how we can get along and fit in and be productive and all. Now at the end, he just stops and lets them know the sober news that we're in a war. We have an enemy who is constantly trying to attack us, constantly trying to defeat us. And despite the fact that that's the case, as we saw last week, we also recognize that if we do what he's telling us to do, we can win this battle. We can stand at, you know, we're going to get knocked down sometimes, we're going to get back up, but when the final analysis takes place, we'll be standing there in victory if we do what he tells us to do. And that is to prepare ourselves for battle by putting on the whole armor of God. And it is, in a sense, yeah, God fights the battle for us, but God also tells us we are in the battle, and we need to recognize that. If you, if you think you're not in a battle, you've already lost the battle, really. Um, you, you've already given in to Satan. As we saw last week, the battle is not against people. It's not against flesh and blood, but it's against Satan, the father of lies. It's against the demons who work with him. It's against that whole evil system that they've put into place in this world that causes people to believe stupid things, that causes people to believe lies, to live based on lies, and to make decisions based on those false beliefs that will cause us to destroy ourselves and to destroy each other. And so the battle is critical for us. It's important that we equip ourselves so that instead of just a satanic mugging that goes on in our lives, we can put up a, a fight and we can, by God's grace, have victory despite the fact that we are under assault. And so Laying that groundwork, we're going to spend the next few weeks going through the armor of God and talking about that spiritual warfare. This morning, we come to verse 14. After he had just said in verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God on the basis of the fact that you're wrestling against spiritual wickedness. Take up the whole armor of God that you'll be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand therefore having girded your waist with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And we'll just stop right there. Girded your waist with truth in their outfits in those days and particularly for a, someone who was a soldier. They wore what they would call a girdle and it wasn't about having a slim waistline. It was a belt that they would wear around their waist that everything else fastened to. It held the, the rest of their outfit together. The, the chest protector, the breastplate, would tuck into it. Their sword and their dagger would be attached to it. It was similar to a law enforcement personnel who wear a Sam Brown belt that everything else fastens to. But it, it was holding everything together. And his analysis is that's what the truth is to be to you if you're going to win this battle take truth and let that be the sash 
that holds all the rest of it together. Now, most everyone is in favor of truth, although in this day and age, philosophically, there are a lot of assaults to even the concept of truth. In a postmodern society, there are people who are promoting the idea that really there's no such thing as truth. Now, of course, it's ridiculous to make such a statement. It's, it's completely um, counterproductive to build a philosophy around the idea that there isn't any truth. No one really believes that. They say they do, you know, because if, you, if you're going to say, oh, there is no absolute truth, then I would say to you, are you absolutely sure of that? Because that statement sounds like a pretty categorical statement that definitely you know it's truth that there isn't truth. And so if you're not totally certain of, if you're totally certain of that, then you've just made a statement of absolute truth. If you're not totally certain of it, then you have to admit that the opposite could be true, that there actually is absolute truth. Either way, the contention that there's no absolute truth is self-defeating. Oh, but I didn't lose there. But <laughs> postmodernists have come up with this notion of no absolute truth um, out of practicality, and it's come by an honest sentiment, really. It's, it's the idea, well, what happens is the truth is that what I believe is true, some people don't believe it's true. And if we all decide to throw into the pot what we think is the truth, and truth is really just reality as you can describe it, um, we all disagree. And most battles, most fights, most disagreements happen because what I think is true isn't what you think is true. And so the postmodernist has just said, you know what, this is ridiculous. It's obviously there's something wrong. People are fighting against other people all the time. So what we need to do is just get rid of this whole idea of truth, and that way we won't be able to battle. And so it's an honest heart that causes someone to say, let's just take truth off the table. However, truth is the only thing we have that's solid. Knowing what is real and what isn't is vitally important for us in life. You know, because, you know, I can say that I believe something, but unless I test it and find out if it's verifiable or not, I'm going to be making decisions based on that. And how I decide truth is going to determine the whole flow of my life. In philosophy, there's something. And, and in theology as well, there's something called epistemology. And in Greek, it comes from the word for word, you know, logos, and, and the word for truth, epistos. And the idea is, okay, how do you know what's true? How do you decide what's true? And epistemology is a really critical concept to start with because everything else in your life flows forth from how you decide what's true or what's not true. Decisions are made based on your epistemology. So if truth is important, certainly, and it's hard to find people who agree on it, what do we use for a basis for truth? What do we use for a basis of our epistemology? Now, for a lot of people, in fact, for most people, their epistemology is based on their own personal preference. 
Have I experienced this? Do I know it personally? Therefore, that makes it true. If I haven't seen it, I don't know if it's true. Or maybe if I trust someone else who says they've seen it or they've known it, then I will accept it as truth. But basically, I am going to be the measure of my own truth. Someone tells me something, and I'm going to decide whether I believe it or not, based on whether or not it seems to me to be likely. Now, the problem is, with me being the standard for my epistemology, with you being the standard for yours, none of us are really good at doing life anyway. None of us are so successful. None of us has such a, an impeccable record of being right that we are a standard, a reliable standard for, for truth. And so if I'm the best I can do, I'm in trouble. If you're the best that we can do, we're in even more trouble. And it's like, okay, what do we, what's real? What's true? What can I use as a foundation for something to build the rest of my life on? Now, for me, central to my epistemology is, is the assumption and a belief in a God who made us. And it kind of starts there. Building on to that, the, the Word of God, the Bible, for me, is the basis and foundation for my epistemology. I want to decide reality, actuality, and truth based on His Word, because I have chosen to use that as my foundation for epistemology. Now, you can choose to use something else. There are some people who, who don't believe that the Word of God is a reliable expression of, of God's Word, and therefore, they kind of question whether the Bible has mistakes in it and whether, you know, some of it is, you know, we're seeing it right or wrong. And, and as soon as you start to do that, and, and I understand why there are some things in the Bible you might have problems with, but to me, it's such a slippery slope. Once you start doing that, now where's your epistemology based? It's based in you and whether or not you think what God is saying here sounds like something God would say. That's just foolish. You're back to, you might as well just make up your own religion at that point. So to me, it's either all or nothing. Either I believe the word of God or I don't. Now, of course, that's central to truth. And in a few weeks, when we get to the, the as he goes down later, and finally as he winds the thing up, he talks about taking the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, in verse 17, we're going to talk a whole lot more about the role of the Word of God in our lives. And so what, what I'm going to be sharing today is just a, a partial, it's only going to delve into that just a little bit, but don't, please don't ever assume that I'm going to water down the role of the Word of God. I'm going to explain as we get to that passage, and I'm going to talk more about how the Word of God, in practical terms, is a basis for us living our lives. But the reason why it's important to even back up before that and talk about truth as a concept before we even talk about the reliability of the Word of God is because even if you just say, okay, for truth, it's the Word of God. The problem is people still disagree on how they interpret the Word of God. And you're going to have to go, okay, do I live by the Word of God according to what this person says or what that person says or what the other, even within one particular spiritual group. I mean, I listen 
you know, to people who are on K-Wave. And I go, I disagree with that. I really agree with that. Oh, I don't, I don't agree with that. And it's like, these are my brothers. Some of these are some of my best friends who, who love God and love his word just as much as I do. And yet when we come to his word and we apply it, we're going to have some differences. And obviously there are false religions completely who say they believe the Bible. So it doesn't fix the whole problem of epistemology by just saying the Bible. Because interpreting the Bible and applying the Bible is, is a tricky problem that we have as well. And we're going to deal with that as we get down the road a few verses. Okay, so just suspend that a little bit. Right now, I want to talk about something even more fundamental than that, if there is something more fundamental than that is. And that is, do you really want to know the truth? Do you really want reality? Do you really want honesty? Or do you want to play games? Because our battle is against the champion of game playing. Our, bat uh, our battle is against an incredible actor who can mask himself as an angel of light. Our battle is against the father of lies, who knows how to tell you things that will make you do the stupidest things with your life, who make you make the worst choices possible because you believed what he said. And if we're going to defeat him, then we have to decide, first of all, I want reality, I want the truth. And for many of us, that's a battle. Maybe for all of us, at one, in one way or another. Because we're all playing games. We all wear masks. We all pretend in certain ways. You know, it, think about it. If you just got some, a new outfit, and you put that outfit on, and you said to one of your friends, how do you like it? And they said to you, you really want the truth? You're like, oh boy, I think you just gave it to me, and I, I don't think I wanted it. You're like, you know, it, it's like we need Jack Nicholson and a few good men saying to Tom Cruise, you can't handle the truth. Because a lot of times, that wasn't an impression, by the way. That was just, <laughs> I, I can't, I, I don't do impressions. But can you handle the truth? Do you really want to know the truth? Because there are some expressions that you need to be aware of. One of them is the truth hurts. And sometimes it will. Another one is, you know, ignorance is bliss. And it's true. Sometimes you're happier believing a lie, believing a fantasy, than believing the truth. In fact, most people are living their lives based on fantasies that they have, and they're hoping like crazy that nobody shatters that by telling them the truth. But to win the spiritual battle means that you have to step out of the realm of fantasy it means that you are ready and willing to deal with life as it really is, with reality as it really exists. And you're willing to be criticized, you're willing to, to question what it is that you've always done, to question what it is that you want to do, what you feel like doing, what seems like a good idea. It means that you're going, you know what, I am willing to start over if it's real, if it's true. I want to know the truth. And, and that's a huge question that not many of us are wanting to ask. But if you say, I really do want to know the truth, how do you find it? 
There's so many lies out there. The devil's everywhere. And, and how, do you, how do you find the truth? Well, first of all, obviously the word of God. And again, we're going to talk about that more in a few verses. But clearly, when I read the word of God, I want God to tell me the truth. And as I open his word, I go, God, tell me the truth, not about everyone else, but about me. You already have a problem when you're reading the Bible and you're thinking of all the people that you need to send these verses to because they really need it. The truth is, you're a mess. <laughs> and so am I. And it's really a full-time job, or should be, for every one of us to, to expose ourselves to the truth in a way that helps us to start to live our lives in a way that works. And, but, but we are so good at seeing flaws in others, but... So often we don't want to see it in ourselves. We don't want to, we don't want to open the Bible and have it make us uncomfortable. We, we want to open the Bible and have it just encourage us in the way that we are. You just keep doing, if every time I opened the Bible it said, Dave, you're perfect. I would go, oh, that's so nice. I love doing devotions. <laughs> but I'll tell you something, sometimes I hate doing devotions because I open it up and it keeps nailing me, keeps pointing out things about me that I really don't want to hear. And so I have to back up and go, wait a minute. You say you want the truth. If you do, do you really want to hear it? And hearing it from God is the most gentle way. Plus, you know, it was the, the, the latest book in the, in the New Testament that was written was written 1900 years ago. So you shouldn't take it personal. It's just the truth. And it may have something to apply to you. And that's a good place to start. But there are some other places where you can go for truth as well, if you really want to know the truth. Um, one is to go to people you love. Go to people that care about you. And hear what they have to say. Sometimes what they have to say will completely refute the devil's lies. The devil had been lying to you, and sometimes he lied to you through other people, telling you you're worthless. Listen to somebody who loves you as to how they feel about you and what they see in you, and recognize that there's some truth that you need to know about yourself, but some of the things that they may share with you are things that where you're off a little bit, where you need some adjustment. Now, usually people who love you aren't going to be very blunt about the way they do that. And so you'll have to listen carefully and subtly to, you know, um, what they have to say. Like, for instance, if you're chronically late, they're not going to harp on you about it. But they won't be, you know, when you show up late, they're not going to be surprised. You're going to go, I wonder why they're not surprised that I'm late. When you call up and cancel something... And they go, no, no, that's fine, it's fine. Are they getting used to you doing that? Are you just a flake? Listen to people who love you and see how they respond to you. And, and there's some truth there that you may find out about yourself. Uh, I would say that the people closest to you aren't the best people to do this, by the way. I always shudder when I hear pastors, and I hear this a lot, where a pastor says, yeah, my wife is my greatest critic, you know, we're on the way home Sunday after church, and she's going, boy, your second point was really weak, and you, no pastor needs that from his wife. Nobody really wants constant criticism from someone who's close to them, and so for spouses often, I would say, you know, 
instead of just pointing out what your spouse needs to hear, if you can do it in subtle, sweet ways, nice ways, and they ask for it, okay, but a lot of times you should just pray that God will bring somebody else along to do it. But still, listen to people who love you, and they can be a reliable source of honesty and truth in your life, if you're really committed to truth. Another place to hear it from, look at strangers, look at how other people act. And then as you look at them, ask yourself, do I do that? Do I ever look that way? Do I ever act that way? Look at, look at TV or movies that you choose and go, I wonder why I liked that movie. Or, I wonder why I didn't like it. And there may be some hint in there about the truth. Now, I, my greatest pleasure is, and it was fulfilled last night, and watching guys beating each other up in a, in a cage. I'm not sure what that means. But I, but I know there's a piece of truth in there somewhere that, I can, that one day I will go, that's it. There's something about me there. And some of you are laughing because you're like, duh, we can tell. But, but here's another source of truth that you probably don't expect to hear. And I would say, listen to your enemies. Listen to people who don't like you. Listen to people who attack you, who, who are deliberately even injurious to you. Now you go, why? Most of what they say isn't true. They have an agenda. They, yeah, absolutely. Anybody who's attacking you is not a godly person. And they can say they're godly. No one who attacks you, no one who has ever attacked you, ever was a godly person. However, even a broken clock is right twice a day. And there's a lot that you can learn from listening to people who are picking on you even. And especially, I, I love it when I have an opportunity to learn something from my critics. See, if somebody just loves to criticize you, they're either some kind of sociopath that does it to everyone or there's something about you that really bugs them or whatever. But I always consider it a blessing when someone attacks me. And here's why. If somebody really wants to hurt me, they're going to look at me and they're going to look pretty deep and they're really going to try to find my weaknesses. They're going to try to discover my Achilles heel and they're going to attack right there in that spot. Right? I mean, does that make sense? If I want the truth, I want to know my Achilles heel. I want to know. I want you to take your best shot and I'll see where that goes, and then God may use that to help me to see I do have a weakness there. So whenever I'm hurt, I try to go, I, I pray that prayer in the end of Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. What's making me uptight? And you know, show me if there's any wicked way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. Hey, even when someone's Bugging, even there's somebody at, at work that just drives you nuts, there's some piece of truth there. There's something there that maybe you can learn from. And the spiritual battle will never go any further if you won't decide to be an open, vulnerable person, allow yourself to be stripped you know, and gutted, and go, I want the truth. 
Because I can tell you one truthful thing. Your life's never going to get any better until you change. That's just the truth. It's true of all of us. So how is God going to work in my life to make me happier and more successful and more productive? If I, if I want God's blessing, then it has to start with seeing things as they really are. Now, maybe it's much kinder and easier and gentler for me to just curl up in a little ball and just endure until I die. And I'm another year old today, so yeah, I, I'm thinking, I don't have that many more years left. Why should I even worry about changing? But Satan sees the days I have left, and he would love to make them unproductive. He would love to have me waste my time, waste my talents, waste my energy, destroy myself, hurt other people. He'd just applaud if that's what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. But what I want to do with the rest of my life is to get better, to live life better, to enjoy life more, to, to find the pleasures, all the things that God has for me, to see his blessings, to become more like Jesus. I really do want to change. If that's going to happen... If I'm going to start living by the truth, I need to see the truth. So, yeah, the truth hurts. And if you want to just protect yourself from the truth, you want to just plug your ears and go, eh, you know, and, and not listen, then fine, keep living life the way you are. God really has nothing to say to someone who's satisfied, to someone who goes, eh, I'm pretty happy the way I am. Then why are you even a Christian? Why, are you, why did you come to him? Wasn't there some need that you discovered? Wasn't there some awareness in yourself that something's wrong? I don't understand it, if, if, you know, but that's your choice. But the choice has to be made. I want to be a person of the truth. I want to be someone who faces reality. I want to... to see everything that I can't see now, I want to discover it. Because that's the part of the spiritual armor that's going to hold it all together. And if we continue to believe lies, we've lost the battle. The father of lies has won. He hates you. He's the enemy of your soul. And if you continue to believe his lies, battle's over. Game is over. He's just going to tromp all over you and ruin the rest of your life. I'm amazed at how many people, when, when they come in for counseling even, you look at them and their life is miserable and they'll be the first to admit that. And sometimes they'll go, no, it's okay. But you can just tell they're miserable. You look at them and tell. And yet you start to try to get around to the truth and they're so resistant. It's like, I don't, I don't want to know that. I don't want to change. I don't want you to tell me, nope, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. And that's the response. Like, what? Do you really like life the way it is? Because if you like it the way it is, fine. Just keep doing what you're doing. But if you really believe, if somewhere in the back of your head there's this idea that maybe there's more that God could do. Maybe I could be happier than I am. Maybe life could work better than it's been working. Maybe God wants to bless me in additional ways that he hasn't yet. Then it starts with truth. It starts with being committed to going, I want to hear the truth and follow it wherever it takes me. And then, as he says, after 
girding your loins with the truth. He says again in verse 14, and putting on the breastplate, the chest protector of righteousness. Now this doesn't mean you need to do the right things. You need to be a good person in order to fight this battle. But it, because you can't do that. And you can't make yourself righteous. God can make us righteous. He gives us the righteousness of Christ as we come to him and as we are honest with him, we face the truth and we repent. He gives us the righteousness of Christ. He gives us a fresh start every single day. But even beyond that, if it, the truth is, if, if you really could do what's right more than what's wrong, your life would get a lot better. But here we are. Where the truth is we can't do it. So what's he talking about that we have to do to put on this protection of righteousness? Well, I believe that just like truth, what he's asking is, are you sure you even want to do what's right? Because I think that often people who, you know, they go, oh, I'm really praying that God will show me what to do. And my first question is always, well, if he shows you what to do, are you sure you're willing to do it? Do you really want to do it differently? Do you really want to change? And, and sometimes we would just rather do it the way we're doing it because that's comfortable. I know when I was in first grade, I started holding my pencil wrong. Now, this is a small thing, and I don't think God considers it a sin, but my teachers did. And I held my pencil between these two fingers instead of between my forefinger and my thumb. And I did it for a very simple reason. I had two friends, who, Randy and Bill, who were both incredible artists. I mean, amazing. At six years old, they could draw anything. And I couldn't. And I really thought it must be, they both held their pencils like that. So I thought if I held my pencil like that, I'd be able to draw. It didn't work. I still can't draw anymore. I could barely write, you know, I'm so used to a keyboard. But I still hold the pencil like that. And teachers whacked me in the hand. I got hit with a ruler by a teacher. Yeah, I'm that old. When they could do, they were allowed to do that. And it was like, and everybody still, I'm holding a pencil. Why do you do that? And I've made up a lot of reasons why I think it's really a better way to hold a pencil. You know, that really your hand doesn't get as tired and you develop calluses in a better place. And you'd, I, I, I have a whole apologetic for holding your pencil that way, but... The truth is, it's probably better to hold your pencil the way everybody else does it, except for me and those two guys. Um, <laughs> but I really don't want, if it's better to do it your way, I just want to do it my way. I'm used to it. And you're that way too, in different ways. And so we all have to answer the question, if God tells you something that's right, would you do it? If he calls you, to do something? Are you willing? You hear, you know, an announcement. I mean, like these guys are going on a missions trip, you know, for a couple weeks over to, over to Hong Kong. You, a lot of you heard about it. Some of you thought about going and maybe even prayed about it. And maybe there are people who, and I'm sorry I'm not picking on you, but there might even been people who thought that God really wanted them to do it. But for whatever reason, they didn't. And now they're feeling like, oh, God, I feel so bad. I mean, well, don't look backwards. It's too late to sign up for that trip. But it, it brings up a characteristic that we share as humans, 
And that is, a lot of times, we just don't want to do what's right. We're not willing to change our routine enough to go out of our comfort zone enough to take a chance in order to just change the way that we've always done it. And, and so Paul's letting us know here, hey, the thing that'll protect your heart is a commitment to righteousness, is a decision that says, if I know what I'm supposed to do, I am going to do it. I don't care if nobody else thinks it's a good idea. I don't care what it costs me. I don't, if I believe it's right, I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm willing to do it. And I'm willing to take little steps in that direction. Not to fix myself all at once, but how about are, are you, if God is telling you to, like for instance, you know, something that the Lord convicts me of a lot is I'm a real messy person. And I've spent most of my life defending that. I know where everything is. Look, it's better in a stack. It's all right there. I can shove my hand right in. I can pull out whatever. No, it's not. It's not better. I know it's not better. But until I decided to say, that isn't right, and I don't want to do it that way, because I really don't think that's the right way to live. I don't think that's healthy. And then I had to actually start taking steps, throwing stuff away, going through files, going through and purging and doing things and cleaning and eliminating. And I'm in the middle of that process now. And you might look in my office and go, you're kidding. This is, this is the reformed you? No. You should have seen it before. But I'm making progress. But it has to start a step at a time. And it has to start ultimately with that question. Okay, first of all, the truth is I'm a pig. And I don't want to be that way. And therefore, I, need to, I don't know if I can stay organized the rest of my life. But I know I can go throw away a few things. I know I can arrange a few things. I know I can get rid of stuff that I know I'll never wear again. I know that there are some things that I can do. And I'm committed enough to want to do what's right, at least. And it's very therapeutic and helpful when you even take little you know, baby steps toward doing the right thing because it shows that you're the type of person who really wants to do it right. And again, if you don't want to do it right, don't. But you lose. Game over. If you decide to live your life wearing a mask, pretending to be something you're not, believing things that aren't true, basing all of your future decisions on hurts you have from your past, and thinking that makes sense, and then when you know that something's not right, you're just going to do it anyway, there's no hope for you. Forget the rest of the armor of God. These things, this is where it starts. This is very basic, fundamental stuff. And it's something that I believe that every day we need to be asking ourselves these two questions. Do you really want to know the truth? And do you really want to do what's right? And that is either the start of turning your life around. That's either the start of finally living your life and, and experience everything that God has for you. It's your, it's your basis for success. Or you shy away from those questions. You're doomed to fail. You will not stand. The devil's lies will be knocking you on your tail 
constantly. And eventually you'll believe his lies that you can never do anything right, that you're nothing but a loser, that you're a failure. You'll have plenty of, of evidence to prove it. And he wins. And you fall. But God doesn't want us to do that. And that's why Paul's saying, come on, man, you can do this. You can stand. You can win. God has so much better in mind for you than what you've lived so far. God has so much more that he wants to do through you. Oh, you look and you've seen God's hand in your life and that's wonderful, but you're not even scratching the surface of what he plans, of what he desires, of what he wants. Now, do you want to get in that battle? Do you want to end up, yeah, I got knocked down. So what? Get back up. Do you want to end up standing? If you do, it's going to start with those two difficult questions. Do you want the truth? And you want to do what's right. Truth and righteousness, throughout the scriptures, they're used together. Go on a Bible program and look at all the verses that have truth and righteousness in the same place. We don't have time. Our time's already up and over up. But, I mean, just back in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 9. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Righteousness and truth are said to be the foundations of his throne. This is real. God's real. He's not some fantasy. He's not some man-made concoction religion. He's not a wish fulfillment. But if you're going to hang with him and win, you've got to stop being brainwashed by the enemy. And, and that starts by saying, okay, I want to see the truth. I want to deal with reality. And then I want to live that way. I want to do it right, not wrong. I'm open to the fact, maybe I'm doing it wrong. There are some people who can just never face the fact that they're doing life wrong. So they keep doing it the way they're doing it. That's where, you know, um, Einstein, it was Einstein who said, insanity is when you keep doing the same thing and expect different results. Now, if life's not working... Don't just keep doing the same thing and think it's going to start kicking in any day now. I can tell you, I'm an old man now. There are things that I was doing when I was a kid, and I'm still doing them, and they still don't work. So how about saying, okay, God, maybe you have a, a vision for me that's greater than the one I have for myself. Maybe you do have better plans. It's the only way you're going to beat the boogeyman that's after you it's the only way you're going to defeat those demons that have been following you and haunting you and messing with you and causing you to continue to beat yourself up and to defeat yourself. Are you ready for the truth? Go to the Lord and tell him that. Do you want to do it right? Then repent of the stupid things you're doing and let God know I, I, I'm open to change. That's where it all starts. Now, as we see over the next few weeks, Lord willing, um, if I live that long, um, <laughs> just kidding. Um, we're going to see some more practical applications of all this, but don't ever get past this. It's all built on truth and righteousness and our commitment to that. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for your word, and sometimes we don't like to hear it. Sometimes it just gets a little too personal. 
and would rather just lay here and do nothing. But you have a job for us to do. You have life for us to live. God, help us to commit ourselves to facing the truth and to be open to doing what's right, even if it's totally different than what we've been doing. Lead us and guide us as we, as we study your word, as we listen to you, as we continue to grow, as we go through the armor of God and discover more and more about our spiritual warfare that's going on. We want to find ourselves at the end of the day standing. So do what you have to do to get us there. You have our permission. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.